Well, good morning, Oakwood. Welcome to part five of our series called Guardrails. We've been in this for uh, several weeks and uh, just had a word of encouragement between services today by uh, one of you that just said how it was such a good reminder. Uh, this, this lady's in her 80s, but just such a good reminder of these, these um, standards of behavior that God has given us as Christians, but they need to be a matter of conviction in our life. And it really begins to make us questions like, how far are we in with Jesus you know, are we all the way? Are we trusting him all the way? And the worship this morning has just really uh, done a great job just setting up what we're going to be uh, talking about this morning because we're going to be talking about finances and we're going to be talking about guardrails in our financial life this morning because we even need some guardrails there. And the, the thing is that we've been talking for several weeks, we've talked about friendships and we've talked about um, sexual immorality we, and we, we've talked about how all through this about how we're supposed to be wise, not as the world is wise and not putting more, more of our, our uh, desires toward worldly things, but we're supposed to be really turning our, our faces and our hearts and our minds toward God and pursuing the things that God wants us to pursue. And, and that's why guardrails are so important because these need to become matters of conviction in our life where when we are going down the road, and remember, they direct us and protect us. They keep us out of the ditch, but they also direct our way in life. That, that when we feel like our, our vehicles, we're going down the road, starts to, to hit that or get close to it, that there would be an alarm that would go off in us and say, hey, reminder, go God's way. Go God's way in this area of your life. You know, sometimes I think when we're worshiping, sometimes I was like, are we thinking about what we just sang in Christ alone? I put my trust. Because I think some of us may struggle with this thing called money. Now, here's the interesting thing about money in Scripture. There are actually more verses about money in the Bible than there are verses about heaven, hell, angels, and demons combined. More about money in the Bible. And, and you say, why? And I've struggled with that. Why, Lord? Why do you talk about money? I mean, he talks about money in the Old Testament. It goes, it goes all the way back, really in Genesis. Um, and all the way through, then the New Testament's mentioned so many times. It just seems like a lot of Jesus' teaching, a lot of his parables mention finances and money and money management. And how do we honor and glorify God in this area of our life? And how do we you know, set up some guardrails there? And, and why? So why? Why does the Bible talk so much about it? And this is what I've, the conclusion that I've come to. I think the Bible talks more about money than any other topic because God knew that would be the chief competition he'd have for our hearts. I think that's the truth. Because if you think about this past week, how much of your week was spent talking, thinking, or pursuing Money. Some of you worked 70 hours this week, right? Why? Because you just love your job, right? Because you're trying to make money. Some of you, uh, the fight that you had with your spouse this week was 100% about money. And it was about security and financial security and how we're going to do this. And some of you played too much golf this week, or you bought the new gun for hunting season, and so that came into play. But, you know, it's just you think about it, and it's like, what is our pursuit? And, and it gets to this point, if we dwell on it and we pursue it too much, maybe it's almost set up as like a little idol in our life, and you can see that, oh, this is competition for God. Because I'm focusing way more on money than I'm focused on anything to do with the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning because Jesus really challenges us with this. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn it to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Again, you're always welcome to follow along in the app. 
If you don't have that, just uh, search Oakwood Enid in the Google Play Store or in the App Store uh, for iTunes, and uh, you can download our app. It has all the sermon notes and all the scriptures right there for you. If you're old school like me, get out that paper Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, we've got you covered. There's one right in front of you. If you just grab that and turn it to page 811, you'll be right where we need to be this morning. And we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. We've had some uh, sections of Scripture out of this over the last couple of months. Uh, Jesus has gathered disciples and others that are wanting to hear him preach and hear him teach. And, and he teach, best preacher of all time, no one taught like Jesus. And so if you read in Matthew's Gospel chapters 5, 6, and 7, that is the complete sermon. We're going to be right in the middle of it in, in, in chapter 6. Um, beginning with verse 24. Now, there's something that Jesus has just said, er, said earlier, and we're going to do a, a financial series in just a few weeks. We're going to get really deep into some of this stuff, but I don't want to miss it this morning, so I'm just going to mention it because just a few verses before verse 24, Jesus says this to the crowd. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this line that's just one of those, you know, say it, you gasp, you know. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We call that the treasure principle. And again, we're going to be talking about that in a finance series in just a, just a few weeks. It's going to be really, really awesome um, to see how God works there. But on the heels of that, he gets to our passage today, beginning with verse 24, Matthew chapter 6. And he says this, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot, not possible, you cannot serve God and money. Now, he uses some really strong language here because he talks about devoted to one, which goes beyond personal preferences, right? I mean, if you're devoted to something, there's a sense of belonging to it. And he says, you're going to be devoted to one. And then he uses another really strong word. He says, despise. You're going to be devoted or despise. And it's not a 50-50 thing. It's 100% or 100%. You cannot. You can't. It is not possible to serve both God and money. And yet, when Jesus says this to these people back in that time, I think he's speaking it to us today. And he's warning us, he's saying, this is something that you're going to be tempted with perhaps your whole life, this pursuit of worldliness and the things of this world, or the pursuit of godliness and the things of the kingdom of God. And that we get to this point where we have to make a decision, because here's, here's some truth this morning, when our trust is in ourselves, and when our trust is in our stuff, we veer off into one of two Ditches. One of two different ditches. The, the first one is what I would call the consumer ditch or the consuming ditch. And what I mean by that is that if you have this unbridled desire for more, like it never satisfies. Like you get the, 20, the 2019 car and you're like, man, I love this car. This car's got, you know, parking aid assist. It's got four sunroofs. It's got 19 cooled cup holders. 
It's got a freezer in the back. You know, it's got my gun rack is installed under the seat. I mean, you know, it's pleather. It's, it, this is the best car ever. Just the best car in the world. And then 2020 comes out. What are you thinking? Man, I got 4,800 miles on this beast. You know, I, I, we, man, the 2020, they came out with midnight blue metallic. I've always wanted a midnight blue metallic car. And so what do we do? Oh, we're going to trade that one in. We're going to get the midnight blue metallic vehicle now because, you know, that's what we desire. And we get really hung up with it. And it's not that those things are bad. It's not bad that you want a midnight blue metallic. In fact, I hope you get that someday. But when it becomes the main thing, when it becomes the main pursuit and we obsess about it, and that's all we think about and that's all we pursue, because that's what he's talking about here, is that's all we pursue. We get in this consumer mindset. I think that's one of the ditches. That, that if we don't have the guardrail there, it, it's one of those ditches that we can find ourselves in, is this unbridled desire for more, which leads to what? A lot of this leads to indebtedness because we're never satisfied. We have to have what? More and more. And the more we have, the more we realize, the more that we need, right? So that's one part of it. The next part I would call is the hoarding part. Well, the hoarding part. And, and this is really out of, it, it's a ditch that is, is driven out of fear of the future. Will I have enough? And, and, and will God provide for me not only today, but will he provide for me tomorrow and into the future? And so our tendency there is to not save in a healthy way, because saving is good. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But that we actually get to this point of hoarding where we just save everything, and it's always about accumulation, and it's always about thinking about the future. It, it, it's always like it's just the main obsession of our life is the acquisition of stuff. And then we're going to keep it forever. And you may say, well, I've got some stuff, you know, that that I might need to part with. There might be some stuff that I need to get rid of. And you're probably right. But a lot of us, we just hoard it. We want to keep it forever. We want to make it. And it becomes, again, a chief pursuit in our life. And that's what he's warning against here. He says, you can't have it both ways. You can't be worried and pursuing and make that the main thing in your life. You can't serve and go after both God and money. And so there's a choice that we have to make. You see, when we end up in the consumer ditch or the hoarding ditch, it actually comes out of something that we call greed. Greed. Nobody likes that word. <laughs> I said at first service and people were like, you know, shooting daggers at me. But I think inside of each one of us, if we're being really honest, we're kind of greedy. We may really struggle with that. And we don't like to say that. And that's something that would be horrible to say about another person, right? It's like, oh, he's so greedy. But here's the deal with greed. Here's the definition for this morning. This thing called greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. In other words, whatever I bring in, whatever comes into my bank account is 100% mine, and I spend it 100% the way I want to do it. Now, that is an anti-biblical concept. Goes, it goes straight in the face of Scripture the wrong direction because the Bible says, and we're going to be talking about this in a few weeks, that the Bible says that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have. Every, all of your possessions, all the money in your bank account, all the money in your savings, 401k, 403b, whatever it is, all of that comes from the Lord. The Lord is the one who is the, who is the provider for your life. 
And, we're, and, and in the scripture, that's what Jesus is really getting at here, what he's, he's starting to allude to here. And so one of the first things that we can learn about this priority in our lives, how do we begin to set a guardrail here? Uh, I want to share just these three things real, just real quick. How do you reprioritize your financial world? And, and it's done in this concept of give, save, and spend. Give, save, and spend. And this is something that the Bible teaches over and over again, is this concept of giving, saving, spending, and it's always in that order. Because even back in the Old Testament, God asks his followers, his people, and the nation of Israel to give to him. In the book of Malachi, he actually breaks it down and gives you exact percentages. He actually does that in Deuteronomy as well. But he, he breaks it down, he says, I want the first 10%, he calls it the first fruits of all of your labor. I'm the one that gives you the ability to produce. I'm the one that gives you your talents and abilities to have a job. If someone's paying you and says, hey, you're doing a good job, where did you get your talents and abilities? You just made them up? No, they come from the Lord. You know, if you have the ability, some kind of physical ability to, to go out and to farm or to ranch or God's giving you kind of some kind of a special ability, maybe you play professional baseball or semi-pro football and you're actually making an income from that, who made you what you are? You think you just created yourself, right? Just out of a, out of a vapor or, you know, that this thing's just happened. No, no, God gives you all of that. And so he says, it's all coming from me anyway. All of your talents, all of your abilities, your whole life, everything is from me. And so what I require of you is to give that first part to me. It's amazing when we do this, how the priority shifts in our life. And so we give first. Then the second thing we do is we save. Saving isn't frowned upon in Scripture. In fact, it's elevated. All throughout the Scripture, it talks about saving, especially in the book of Proverbs. And it commends people for having savings and for planning ahead and for thinking about the future. And so as long as savings isn't the main pursuit in life, but it can be part of of how we live, it's a good thing. But when it becomes the main thing, when it begins to become a priority... And we find ourselves really struggling with this pursuit of what? Pursuit of God and what he wants or pursuit of other things. It becomes a problem. And the last part is the spending. And so an easy way to remember this is 10, 10, 80, give, save, spend. I have a picture um, because I've been teaching my kids this uh, since, since they were little. And I, I want to talk to parents this morning and say, you should do this, okay? We have jars in our home. And, and they look just like this, and they say, give, save, spend, and they're in that order on the shelf in my, in my girl's room or on their dresser, wherever they keep their jars. And the reason that we do this is it's great to teach kids this at a very young age, that everything you have is the Lord's, and that he asks us to give that first 10% for him, and it's showing the priority of his work, his pursuit, his direction in our life. To say, we're not going to be owned by our stuff, we're not going to be owned by our payments, we're not going to be owned by our money. Instead, we're going to have a jar like that and we're going to give. And so my girls have a jar that's the give jar. And, and they can give every week or they can give once a month. I, I let them accumulate because sometimes it's fun to give, you know, $50 in the, in the offering than it is to give, you know, 50 cents in the offering. So, so but they, they've been trained from an early age that we're going to trust God and because we love him, because we trust him, because he says, I'm going to provide everything that you need, we're going to give. The second one is the save jar. That's the 10%. So we help them. If they get $10, $1 goes in the give jar, one goes in the save jar, and then the other eight go in the spend jar. And they love that because they're like, what? I get eight in the spend jar? I remember when my girls were little, they went, I can't remember if it was Isabel, Abigail, one of them asked me one time, Dad, why does God only get $1? 
Why does he get like five since it's all from him anyway? I was like, that's a good question, but that's what he asked for is, is, is uh, 10%. And so, you know, that's where we're going to be faithful. Now, if you want to give God more and be generous and make an offering to him, he would accept that. But, but this is the way it is. And he's like, well, I feel like God's really generous. He gives me, you know, the, the savings really is for me in the future and the, and the spending. So I get 90%. And it's amazing how that 90% goes a lot further than the 100%. And if, you, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with this, I would go back to that definition of greed, which is just the assumption that it's all for my consumption. And some of us, it's even beyond 100%. I was looking at some statistics this week. The average American actually spends not 100% of their income that comes in, but 104%, which that's what? 4% of debt and debt load. And why? Because we may be struggling with this unbridled desire for more, or be worried about the future, and we begin to do these things. And so how do we fight, this, fight these things? And, and, and this is where we're going to get with the rest of the passage. So, so if you've closed your Bible first thing there, open it back up, verse 24. We're going to start there. We're going to read that again. And I'm going to read this whole passage. And I want you to hear Jesus' words in a special way this morning. Let the Scripture speak to you. Because this is in the red letters. This is Jesus talking. And listen to what He says about the kingdom of God. Listen to what He says about your heavenly Father. And how he knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, and how he's going to take care of everything. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve out of that divided heart. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Some people have anxiety over the future and about their money situation. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat in the future, or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Think about that. You go outside, you see the birds all stressed out. Boy, what are we going to do for food? Oh my goodness, you know, they're well fed all the time. They find this plethora of worms or, or bugs or whatever they need to eat. God provides it for them. You don't see them, you know, with these barns of, of you know, storing up. And, you know, they, and God says, hey, look at the birds. You know, if I care about them, how much more do I care about you as my child who's made in my image? How much more, how much further will I go for you than I go for the birds? But look, I take care of them. And that's when he says, are you not of more value than they? I mean, come on. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? You consider the lilies of the field, the plants that God has created, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They're not trying to make clothing for themselves to cover themselves. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, King Solomon was the richest man in all the world. So he had all the great clothes. Um, scripture talks about you know, his riches. Just was, There was no end. He could have anything he wanted, any style he wanted. And he says, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his riches, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these... Lilies of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, I mean, it's burned up, right? We, 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 we cut the grass, we, we, we chop things down, it's, just, it's alive today, it's gone tomorrow. Will he not much more clothe you? And then he gives us these five words that cut like a knife. <laughs> oh, you of little faith. 
he brings up this faith factor in the middle of this passage about his provision. Oh, you have little faith. Seriously? You don't think I'm going to sustain life for you? Oh, you have little faith. One of the things I love um, talking to to some of our senior adults about, you talk to someone that's maybe in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and if you, if you ever ask one of them, tell me about your life and, and, and tell me about your financial life. Like, like, you know, how does God take care of you through life? And if you ask any senior adult that, what's amazing is they, the first thing that happens to them is they smile. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, that's a great you know, smile. It's like, why are you smiling? And they'll tell you a story about a time they were so poor they didn't know how they were going to pay their bills, but God provided for them. And then we'll talk about a time that they were doing really, really well and they were wealthy and God was providing for them. And then they had this thing happen in their life and they didn't know how they were going to get through and God provided for them. And now they're 92 years old and God continues to provide for them. And they said, you know what? God just got us through. And isn't that what he's saying right here? Hey, I'm going to get the birds through and the grass and the lilies of the field through. Hey, I'm going to get you through too. So don't trust in that stuff and don't pursue that stuff and don't make it the main thing in your life. Make the main thing me in your life and put the priority there. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 34, or 31, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, Well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You see, those are the questions of hoarding. It's the worry about the future. That leads us with this constant pursuit for more. Will I have enough? Therefore, he says, don't be anxious about the future. Saying, well, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What will you wear? And then look what he says in verse 32. He says, for the Gentiles, some translations call them the pagans. I like the the pagans there. For the Gentiles or the pagans, the non-believers, the ones out there in the world that are seeking worldliness, for the Gentiles, the pagans, they seek after these things, which means they run after them, they pursue them. They're the chief pursuit in their life. For for the Gentiles and the pagans seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. He created you. Duh. He knows you need food and water to make your body Go. He, he knows that, you, that if you run around naked, you're cold all the time. He's going to clothe you. He's going to provide a shelter over your head. He knows that you need those things. He knows everything that you need for life and godliness, the Scripture says. And it says, for the Gentiles, they run after these things. It's the main pursuit of their life. And he's saying to Christians, not so with you. You're going to be different. Because your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then you get to verse 33, and he says this. But seek First, the kingdom of God. Make that the chief pursuit of your life. And his righteousness and all of these other things that you need, that the Lord knows you need, that he's providing for the animals, that he's providing for the world, that it can continue to survive. All of these things will be added to you. All these things are going to be added to you. He says what? Seek first. Why? Because he knew one of the chief distractions in life, one of the chief competitions for God to have our whole heart is going to be this thing that we call money. And so we kind of have to stand back this morning and ask ourselves, you know, if we look at where our treasure is, is it more 
in this world? And do our priorities line up more with this world? Or are they more with the kingdom of God? Where are we going to put our trust? Where are you going to put your faith? Because this really has a lot to do with faith. So what are some action steps? What are some guardrail just action steps uh, that we can do here? The The first one is this, is give to God before you save or spend. God is first always. He's always first, most, highest, and best in a believer's life. And let me tell you something, give you some encouragement this morning. If you haven't been doing this and you start doing this, I believe something supernatural happens in your heart. Because when you actually write a check or give online or however you choose to do it, when you actually say, I'm going to give God 10%, I'm going to trust Him at His word, uh, I'm going to believe that He can provide for me, I'm actually going to do it. I'm, I'm going to go all the way with God, I'm going to trust Him 100%. When you actually do it, something supernatural in your heart happens when you give first. And you give the first fruits. Because you are saying, I'm not going to be owned by my stuff and I'm not going to be owned by any payment that I have to pay. I'm not going to be owned by pursuits of worldliness and the possessions and the thing this world has to offer. I'm not going to pursue any of those things. I'm going to seek first his kingdom, and I'm going to show you right now by putting, what did it, what did it say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says the heart follows the treasure. And it's amazing. It's like chains are broken. It's like, I'm really all in now. You know, it's kind of like when you jump in the pool for the first time in the deep end. You remember that as a kid? It's a big deal, right? Because, like, you're out there, man. I mean, you're exposed. Like, you know, tread water. You know, keep your head above. Swim, swim. You know, paddle, paddle. When you do that with God, I mean, there's something that happens in you because you're like, I have faith now like I've never had before. Why? Because I'm going to believe God can not only provide for eternal life, not save me from hell only at the end of my life, but I'm actually going to believe that he'll provide for me now in this life in the area of finances. And not because he wants 100%. I'm just going to be faithful to him with the 10%. And when I do that, I find my life and the priority shift and I'm blessed and my master is the Lord, and I show it to him through my actions and through giving. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 and verse 11 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you're a farmer today, you're like, oh yeah, I get this, but maybe you're not, so let me explain. If you put like three seeds in the ground, you're going to get like three plants But if you put like 300 seeds in the ground, you have potential to get 300 plants. And so those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow generously will reap generously. You get the concept. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Oh, it's a heart thing. Yes. Each man should decide in his heart what to give. Not reluctantly. Not like, oh, I have to. Not under compulsion. Oh, because preacher told me to. Not, Not because, but for God loves a cheerful giver. We do it out of joy. The Lord is my salvation. I'm putting my trust in Him and I'm funding His ministry. I get to participate in His ministry. I want to make sure that His objectives and His priorities in life are first and best. And so I'm going to give to that. I'm going to show Him that. And we give to the Lord. And look what it says in verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that when, Lord, so that in all things, when, Lord, at all times... Having what, Lord? All my needs provided. Having all that you need, you will abound 
which means you'll have excess in every good work. You'll be made rich in every way. In what way, Lord? In every way. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. See, there's a reason. You may say, well, wait, if God's going to give me more and I'm going to be rich, but there's a reason. He says, because I want you to share it with others. I mean, it says so that you can be generous on every occasion. Well, what about when the, when the church is, it needs to do this or needs that? You can be generous on every occasion. God's going to provide all of that, that you would abound in every good work, that you're rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And then check this out. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When you actually do these things, you become a generous person that's not owned by their money, that's not owned by their next payment to the bank or the mortgage company or or whatever. When you actually become a person that is free to freely give and to be generous and and when on every occasion, people look at that and they go, why? Why? Because they're greedy and they're dealing with greed. They're like, wait wait a second, you're the opposite of greedy. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Why, Why are you different than the world? And it says in their hearts they give thanksgiving to God because they said, oh man, only God can break the stronghold of a thing like greed. They must be the real, they must really put their faith in God. They must really seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we give to God before we save, before we spend, because God is first, best, highest, most, always in our life. The second thing, we deposit the next part to you. Savings. Savings. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on it here, but savings isn't a bad thing as long as it doesn't get to the hoarding level. As long, as long as you're not putting your faith and trust in what you have in your 401k, don't put your faith and trust in that. But it's okay to have that for the future. In fact, it's smart, and, and the Bible commends that in Scripture. But we're not going to put our trust there. We're not going to put our faith in there. And the third thing is that you live on the rest. This is where you consume. This is where you can buy things and, and live on things. Now, the problem is that some of us, we are so in deep financially that we've been spending 104% of everything we bring in for years. And some of us have debt, and we're going to be talking in a few weeks on how do we get out of that? How do we honor God with this? How do we get out of debt? Um, How do we get to a point where we we, can be on a cash system? We're going to be learning all that together. It's going to be great. But you have to understand something here, is that when we consume more than anything else, when we make our life revolve around that and our checking account and everything that we do, it seems to be on the forefront of our mind all of the time. We get obsessive about it. That's why you drive to Oklahoma City to buy things. Can't, can't buy them here. You can't buy them online. We've got to go to Oklahoma City. Why? Because I've got to make sure I get to save money and the best deal, the best. I've got to have the greatest, latest, best. And Why do we do all those things? Think about all that as you go throughout your week, like all these decisions that you make. Because here's the deal. Some of you think today's sermon's about money, right? And it is. I mean, Scripture talks about it. It says don't serve money. But let's go back to the very beginning of this in verse 24. Let's read it again with this new lens of everything else we've read and talked about. No one can serve two masters, for he'll either hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The question this morning and the pursuit this morning is the human heart. That's what it's about. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. Scripture says he's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything that he needs. You see, God doesn't want something. 
you think, you think, people actually think, I just don't get it. People think that God wants something from them. You know, it's like God wants something from me. No, God wants something for you. And what he wants for you is freedom. That you're not going to be owned by your stuff and that you're going to get away from the deception that somehow financial security in this world is all you need and then you'll be fine. No, you'll go to hell with a million dollars in the bank. And people go, oh, oh, good, good job. You see, this is 100% about your devotion and your heart being turned toward God. And it just seems like in, in America and in this affluent country that we lived in, we're blessed to live in it compared to other parts of the world. I'm, but it's about the pursuit. Is that the main thing in your life? Is that what you dwell on? Is that what you worry about? Is that what you think about? I mean, throughout this passage, he talks about anxiety. He mentions it like four or five times. Don't be anxious about this. Why? Because look at the birds. They're still alive. I take care of them. How much more am I going to take care of you? Oh, you have little faith. Why are you doubting me? Why aren't you giving your heart and your life 100% to me? And that's the call of God from this passage this morning. It's not about money. It's about who is your master. Who do you serve? Who do you love? Who are you going to put your faith in? Because so many times, many of us are like, well, I'm going to put my faith in this, but our actions, sometimes our bank accounts, don't reflect that commitment in our life. And I go as far to say this. If you're one of those that's trying to justify it in your mind right now, like we don't give, we've never given, and I won't give, you might have another master. MasterCard. <laughs> You might really have this be a struggle in your life. And this is not some guilt trip. This isn't some thing to help fund the budget for the church. This is 100% about lordship in your life. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to put your faith in? God says, show me in this area of finances. Show your commitment. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God that provides everything that we need everything that we need in life. God, you are the one that gives us the ability to produce in whatever field, area, genre that is. And God, here in this passage today, you said, hey, I want to take care of you. I'm going to provide everything that you need just like I'm going to provide for this world to keep on going and the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, and all of these things. I'm going to take care of you. So would you, as a matter of principle and a matter of stewardship, in a matter of showing me that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, would you treasure me more than anything in this world? Would you treasure my son who sacrificed on the cross so that you could be free from sin? So you wouldn't be tangled up in this mess of the world, but you'd be focused on me. God, I thank you that you loved us that much, that you would sacrifice. And God, as we come into this time of invitation this morning, as we come into this time 
Um, God, there's a decision room over there. There's people to pray with us. There's people to talk to us about our relationship with you. God, maybe that's the next step for someone is to to go and to seek out uh, someone to pray with them, to talk to them. Lord, for some of us, maybe we just need to kneel and pray. Lord, for others of us, we're going to stand and sing and we're going to declare this song. And God, we're going to examine our hearts. God, I want you to continue to convict us in these next few minutes about who really is the Lord of our life. Who is our master? Are we mastered by anything in this world or is it only you that we desire? Lord, what are we going to build our future on? What are we going to build our life on? God, earlier we sang in Christ alone, God, I pray that's truth from our hearts this morning. God, that we could be found faithful in this area of finances because it just reflects the priority you have in our heart. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for grace and forgiveness of all the times we haven't put you first and best and most in our life. And God, I pray you'd bless everyone's efforts as we continue to strive toward that. And God, be blessed and inhabit the praises of your people as we sing this song. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.